Almighty Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all the blessings, all the gifts that you give unto us all through our lives. We pray now for thy blessing upon these gifts that are returned to the church, that they may be wisely and well used, that they may be of service in thy kingdom. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Our scripture this morning is taken from Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. So if you have your Bibles, please turn them to Galatians chapter 3. I don't know if I've told you this before, but years ago I was at the Cedar Falls Bible Conference, and a gentleman from, I believe, Scotland was going to speak And after he had announced the scripture, he said, Oh, I love to hear those Bible leaves rustle. Now ye who don't have your Bibles, look up at me. I want to glower at ye. Did I tell you that before? (laughs) There are few Bibles, but bring your own Bibles. Your own Bible is the Bible you should bring. And... I know there are Bibles that are on the phones, but print definitely has its place. Am I right, Nick? Amen. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God And it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Almighty Heavenly Father, here we are who have received 
the word by the Spirit. Strengthen our faith, even as we have received it. And be with us this day, this hour, this minute even. And extend your presence all through our days. In Christ's name, amen. Now, I want to give you another aside. I've given you asides already today. This is Palm Sunday. And often in our Reformed churches, we do something about that, and sometimes we do not. Because the days themselves are not what is important. But the faith we have in Christ is central. But next week, there will be two particular days that have unusual names. Good Friday, and we want to say, what is good about it? It's the day Christ was crucified. But of course, what is good about it is that he was crucified for us. He bore our sins on the cross. And the other day that comes before it is Maundy Thursday. Do you all know what Maundy Thursday is? Indeed, is there anyone here? Put your hand up. Who knows what? One. We've got one. Is there another yet? Two. <laughs> if I were an auctioneer, I'd say, do I hear three? Maundy Thursday is a wonderful title. M-A-U-N-D-Y. Strange kind of spelling. And people say, why is it called Maundy Thursday? Isn't that a a Roman Catholic thing to do or something of that sort? Not at all. Because it was on that day that our Lord said to his disciples, A new commandment give I unto you, that you love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. And in Latin, that phrase, a new command, and that's such a wonderful, important commandment. That phrase, a new commandment, is mandatum. We get mandate from that, or commandment. Mandatum novum. Mandate new. And it's from mandatum that we get that weird name, Maundy Thursday. It's a good thing to remember on Maundy Thursday, next Thursday, that we have that command of the Lord to love one another so that all men may know that we are indeed his disciples. In 1956, five young men flew to Huarani territory in South America. They went to take the gospel to a group of people who were considered savages. They were called Akas, which meant savage. The first contact went very well, but misunderstandings brought attack and death. I know many of you have heard of this. Sometime later, Rachel Saint, one of the wives, went back together with a friend from that tribe, a lady, to take the gospel to them. And two years later, Elizabeth Elliot, together with her two-year-old daughter, went back. I want to ask you some questions. Was it worth 
the lives of those five young men to take the gospel to the Huarani tribe? Was it right to change their culture? Missions, Christian missions are constantly criticized because you're going in and changing the culture of the place where you go. Is it right to change culture, to take the gospel? Was it right for Christ to die on the cross, God's Son? Was it right for Christ to change human culture? You know the answers. Of course. Of course. And that's exactly what Scripture tells us about all through. Um, I'm sure you know by now that one of my favorite books is Leviticus, the Gospel of the Old Testament. But all through Scripture, man's culture has been changed. Not enough. A whole lot of it needs to be changed yet. We're going to look at Paul's arguments from experience his argument from Scripture and Christ's work. The argument from experience, he begins in saying, Oh, foolish Galatians! You're out of your minds, the word means. Galatians, absolutely insane. You're not using your minds to remember what I told you. You're not using your minds to recall what happened in your life. You're not using your minds to understand what was written before your eyes. And that's what one of the words in Greek here means. It means written in front of you. It's not talking about the scripture, though that would be appropriate. But I know that I look back at my life at the day when I prayed and said, Christ, I want to be a Christian. Father, I want to be a Christian. I didn't even know what it meant. I just knew I wanted that. And my life changed. And I look back at that. What has God done in your life? Look back at what he has done in your life and be thankful Look at the blessings he's given you. And we all have trials in our lives and other things that we don't like. Of course. But our lives are filled with the blessing of the presence of God through Christ and the Spirit. So he gives some arguments. And Calvin commented on the fact that they were moving away from belief in Salvation by faith. And he says it was all wrong that their progress should not match their beginning. So there's a challenge to each of us. Does my challenge, does yours match your beginning when you came to Christ? His arguments are from alternatives. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Obviously not. Or did you receive the Spirit 
by grace through faith. That's how we receive the Spirit. Having begun with the Spirit, has your faith been perfected by the flesh? Have you proved by all your wonderful good works and all the wonderful things you've done and prayed for and so forth, by your strength, have you proved your faith and built your faith? No. It's God who works in us. It's the Spirit who works in us. Clearly, we received our faith by the work of God's Holy Spirit. And, beloved, he is in your life. He is in your heart. He is in your place today. He has not left you. He is with us in this building in this moment. He never leaves us lonely. He never leaves us unhelped. Oh, they might say, we're not Judaizers, you know. We just believe we need to be circumcised. And he says these two things. How do you balance the law and the spirit? How can you say you need to be circumcised and say that you are saved by faith? We can ask, how do we balance Bible study and prayer and good deeds done for Christ with faith? Well, aren't we supposed to do Bible study and, and prayer and good deeds? Of course we are. But we're not saved by them. We are not justified by them. I would encourage you to do all of those things. But don't ever think that you're such a good Christian because you do so much Bible reading and so much prayer that that is what you're justified by. Justification is the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And it's done once. And when he brought you to faith, he never has abandoned you. And he's there. Now, that doesn't mean we're not to do the other things. Those involve sanctification rather than justification. And I, I just told uh, Nick this morning a story that I didn't know if I told in this pulpit or not. It's the sto story of the mayor of New York at one time, Fiorello LaGuardia, for whom the airport is named. And during the Depression, when he was mayor, he liked to go out into the city and see what was happening. So he'd go out with the patrolmen, the, the policemen in their cars, or he'd go with the EMTs and see what kind of things were going on. And they say that one day he went and took the bench as a magistrate, a minor judge. And while he was there, a man was brought in who was charged with stealing bread. And he asked him, why did you do that? To feed my family. Because I can't afford to buy food for my family. This is the Depression. And being a just judge, LaGuardia said, the evidence proves that you did what you were charged with. And he levied a fine 
that the man would have to pay to stay out of jail. And then that just judge got down from the bench and walked down around and took his hat and took a collection among the people there and put money in himself and paid the man's fine and gave him money to buy food for his family. God is a just judge. We have sinned. He has charged us with our sin. He has told us that the penalty for our sin is death. And he sent his son. He came down from the bench to die upon the cross to pay the penalty and give us enough to buy salvation. Not that we really do buy it, but just following the illustration. God is a just judge. Our sins have to be paid for. That's why Christ went to the cross. And once that has been done, and once we have come to Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit, yes, then we need to be sanctified. We are not, as Calvin once said, we are not yet angels. And we're not actually ever going to be angels. But we are going to be perfected. Sanctification. You see, Paul didn't care whether or not they were circumcised. You want to be circumcised? Be circumcised. No problem. But he cared immensely whether they thought by that, that by that they were earning their salvation. And the same is true for us today. You see, if they thought they had to do that to earn salvation, if you think you have to pray uh, one and a half hours a day and read scripture for two hours every day, which none of you are probably do, then you're nullifying the work of Christ. He cared immensely whether they fully honored the completed work of Christ upon the cross. Then, of course, you should do good things, whatever they are for you. So he asked them next, did you suffer in vain? Uh, he clearly doesn't believe that their suffering has been in vain. Why would they be suffering? They'd be suffering because they came to Christ in a non-Christian culture. We have not had to face that. But people in Muslim nations do. And sometimes they suffer a great deal. Their families reject them. Paul wants them to remember how they received Christ and not think that they received Christ in any way but by the work of the Holy Spirit and the faith that he placed in their hearts and in their minds. Our duty is to remember how we receive Christ. It's important that I remember that day when I was, I think, in eighth grade. I don't know. I don't know a date. doesn't matter. Some grow up in a family knowing Christ and hardly know the moment. That's all right. Some go out and deal with alcohol and drugs and all kinds of terrible things. 
and remember a a day and an hour and a time and an individual who told them about Christ, praise God. But look back and remember that the Spirit has worked in your heart, in your heart. As we remember that, it frees us from being absorbed in the present or fearful of the future. Christ is with us now, and he will be with us whatever comes in the future. It frees us from the past to look to the Spirit for growth. The Spirit wants you to grow. The Spirit will help you grow. Look to him. Now, if you don't choose to grow, you probably won't. You have to work with the Spirit. Philippians 3, 13, 14, Paul says this, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's working with the Spirit. Paul didn't have some strength that you and I don't have, some miraculous thing. He had the Spirit. We have the Spirit. So some tests then for looking back. Do you see a pattern in your life? A pattern by which God has been working in your life. If you don't, build it. Look to the Spirit and begin building that pattern. Do you see how the Spirit has built moral awareness in your life, in your heart, in your mind. And moral awareness is not just an idea of knowing what's right and wrong. You can know what's right and wrong and have no moral awareness. I mean, I know the Ten Commandments. You know the Ten Commandments. Knowing the Ten Commandments is not moral awareness. Moral awareness is knowing God in Christ and knowing the presence of the Spirit so that you can begin to live by the things that you know are right and wrong. And it goes way beyond the rules, which are good. We're talking the Ten Commandments. Do you see how the Spirit has freed you from any fear of failure? I sometimes look at my life as a Christian, as a pastor, as a teacher, and I see... Lots of failure. <laughs> a lot more than you might think I might see. Okay. But I'm not afraid of that. I'll fail in the future too. But I'll succeed as well if I walk with the Spirit. And ultimately, He'll bring me home to the Father in His time. When it's right for me, that's going to happen. So I'm free from fear of the consequences of the past. I'm free free from fear of the future. I'm free to go forward with God. I'm free to undertake new opportunities, new tasks, whatever those might be. Uh, I remember four elders that I called up one one day uh, when I was about to go on vacation. We had morning and evening services, and I told them that the four of them were going to preach at those services. <laughs> And they had no idea I was going to tell them that. 
So you might have some idea in your minds how they reacted. But I taught them how they could do it, and they did it. Two of them never did it again. Two of them became quite good preachers. You don't know what new task you can undertake until you try it. What is the Spirit leading you to try? Is the Spirit leading you to keep doing the things you've been doing for Him for the last six months, six years, six decades? Keep at it. That's fine. Is the Spirit leading you to try something new? Maybe you won't succeed. You won't know until you try it. Look to the Spirit. That's the key. That's the key. Because He wants to draw you closer to God so that you can fulfill what the Catechism says in the first question. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him. Don't forget that part and enjoy Him forever. The Spirit wants to lead you to enjoy Him. Now Paul comes then to his argument from Scripture, verses 5 through 9. The challenger, verse 5, he asks them, How does he who supplies the Spirit to you and does miracles among you do those two things? Is it by works of the law? Here again we have the alternatives. Or by faith? And the answer, of course, is that it's by faith, not by works of the law. And so he gives the example of Abraham. Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Think about the things that Abraham did. He left Ur with his father Terah. Ur was a huge city at that time. Not huge by our standards. But thousands of people. Around 20,000 they say. That's huge. He left Ur. He later left Haran, which probably was named for his brother. He received a promise that he would have offspring, children, and he was too old, and Sarah was way beyond childbearing. No way. Not going to happen. He believed. The promise was repeated, and its scripture says he was hoping against hope. Hoping against hope. There was no hope for him to have children. And still he was hoping. Why was he hoping when there was no hope? Because God promised. That's faith. And he had faith when the commanded sacrifice came to sacrifice Isaac. Which of course God never intended him to do. But it did intend him to have faith. It was not the things he did. Giving the list might give that misunderstanding. It was his faith in doing them. That's the key. He received the sign of circumcision, Abraham did as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. So Paul says in 11 and 12, the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. And Paul's point is that he was not saved by fulfilling the law about circumcision. 
The purpose, Paul says, was to make him the father of all who are uncircumcised and yet believe, as well as the father of all who are circumcised and yet believe. But what about Abraham's faith? Was it faith in Christ? John chapter 8, verse 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. Jesus speaking. He saw it and was glad. Now, how did he see it? In faith? Shortly that. Beyond that, I don't know. But I know Christ's word. He saw it and was glad. Verse 8 talks about the scripture, that the scripture preached the gospel to Abraham. Two things to note. Foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. I don't know if we have any Jewish folk in this congregation this morning, but I would guess that most of us are Gentiles, saved by faith. And that the scripture preached the gospel. That's the Old Testament. The gospel's all through it. The gospel, the Bible is one book. We talk about Old Testament and New Testament, and that's okay, and that has its place, but it's one book. Leviticus is a gospel, it tells about the need for blood sacrifice. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are Gospels. They tell about the fulfillment of blood sacrifice. Leviticus goes on then to say, once you have received God's grace through this blood sacrifice, there's certain things you're to do in the way you live. Romans, Galatians, every book Paul wrote, This is what God has done for you. This is how you should live. He followed the pattern all the way through. So everyone has to make a choice, either live depending on the law. And Calvin writes this, and it's scriptural. We admit that the doers of the law, if there were any, would be righteous. But since that is a conditional agreement, we are all excluded from life because none offers the righteousness that he ought. Can you be saved by the law? The answer of any Christian preacher who knows the word is yes. If you fulfill it. Totally. And the problem at this point in my life is I've already failed. It's too late. And I hear the children, and it's even too late for them. (laughs) Because they've sometimes been disobedient, right, parents? (laughs) We're sinners, even our children. So we must live by faith in dependence upon God. Exactly what is this faith? Again, turning to Calvin, I want you to hear what he said. We must be advised that there are two forms of the faith. One is this. 
If someone believes that God is, he thinks that the history related concerning Christ is true. But this is of no importance. Thus it is unworthy to be called faith. If anyone boasts of it, let him realize he has it in common with demons. Nick mentioned this this morning. James chapter 2 verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. The demons believe in Christ. They believe that he came to save mankind. They don't want him you know, to succeed in your life. But they believe. The other is the faith whereby we not only believe that God and Christ are, but also believe in Christ and acknowledge him as our Lord and Savior. To believe in Christ is more than to believe of Christ. To believe of Christ is to believe, oh, yes, the Scripture says that God sent his Son. The Scripture says that God's Son would die for my sins. The Scripture says that, and that's believing of Christ. But believing in Christ is this is my life. This is my faith. This is the heart of who I am. And he has saved me and nothing else. And nothing else could or has. So Christ then has lifted the curse for us. He died upon a cross, died upon the tree. That he could take our curse. And I I said to Nick earlier this morning, you know, sometimes people, I think I said this to you if I didn't, forgive me for misremembering. Um, Some say that Christ was sinless. And that is a false statement. But if you say that Christ was without, was without sin in his life, that is absolutely true. That was absolutely necessary, absolutely essential. But next week on Good Friday, Christians everywhere will remember that Christ went to the cross bearing our sins. He did not go to the cross sinless. He went to the cross burdened with sins. Not his. Otherwise, he couldn't afford to pay for ours. But burdened with ours. Praise God. Otherwise, I have to die to pay for my sins. And I can't do it. I'm not good enough. I haven't lived a sinless life. and I'd have to live a sinless life in order to be able to pay for my sin. That doesn't even make sense. And, of course, it's not true. So Christ has lifted the curse. So remember, if nothing else, these things from this passage in Galatians. Christ was cursed for us. My sin, your sin, is paid for. I am justified. You are justified. That can never be taken away. My old self is crucified. My new self has been brought to life. It's not yet as sanctified as it's going to be, but it's there. I am a new creature in Christ. Therefore, I can begin to live a life. I can begin to live a life 
truly lived for Christ my Savior, for God my Father, for the Spirit who walks with me. Let's pray. Almighty Heavenly Father, we are truly lost without you, without our Savior, without the Spirit. But we have you. We have the Savior. We have the Spirit. We praise you, Father. We thank you. We thank you for all kinds of things, for the creation, for our food, for our homes, for our clothing. But we thank you most of all that we have you, that we can glorify you, that we can enjoy you, that we can enjoy Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Help us to do that very thing. In Christ's name, amen.